Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning. I'm Dr. Edward Soltes, and on behalf of my colleague, Dr. Osama Wozni, welcome to Tall Rounds. Today, we'll be discussing contemporary hybrid approaches for the treatment of complex atrial fibrillation. You'll be hearing from experts in our Advanced Atrial Fibrillation Center here at the Cleveland Clinic, as well as Dr. Andre Gowry, who is an electrophysiologist at Spectrum Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Let's start off with a case presentation by Dr. Donlan. Good morning. Our patient is a 73-year-old male with a past medical history of coronary artery disease, underwent PCI to the LAD in 2009. His history is also noted, notable for a severely dilated left atrium with a left atrial volume index of 63 millimeters per meter squared. He also has long-standing persistent AFib. He failed prior antiarrhythmic therapy with flecainide and amiodarone. Numerous cardioversions performed over a year ago result, resulted in early recurrence of AFib within days. This is his ECG on presentation to us demonstrating atrial fibrillation. A transthoracic echo was performed which showed a, a very dilated left atrium. In light of his history of long-standing persistent AFib, as well as his severely dilated left atrium, we felt that his chances of success would be optimized utilizing a hybrid convergent procedure. Epicardial ablation was performed utilizing a sub-xiphoid approach using a vacuum-assisted unipolar radiofrequency device the EpiSense. He was subsequently brought to the EP lab several months later where endocardial mapping and ablation was performed. Following surgical epicardial ablation, this is a voltage map obtained using a pentaray mapping catheter in our EP lab. This voltage map was performed endocardially. Here we're looking at the heart from the back. This is a posterior anterior view. We see the left-sided pulmonary veins and right-sided pulmonary veins, upper and lower. We, the red here indicates low voltage, whereas purple denotes healthy atrial tissue. We see along the posterior wall, we have areas of low voltage. Posterior to the pulmonary venous ostia, we also have low voltage areas, uh, particularly posterior to the left inferior pulmonary vein. However, we can see that the veins at this point are not isolated. Again, this is following epicardial, but prior to endocardial ablation. On presentation to the EP lab, the patient was in a left-sided atrial flutter. Here we're looking at the left atrium from the front. On the left, we see a, an activation map of the atrial flutter. On the right, we see a voltage map, again looking at the, the front surface of the left atrium. I'll draw your attention to the right-sided map here, where we see an island of scar. On the left, we see the activation of the atrial flutter, where it propagates around this island of scar, up the ridge anterior to the left-sided veins. We proceeded with wide antral circumferential ablation around the left-sided pulmonary, around the left and right-sided pulmonary veins, 
Uh, we also performed linear ablation along the upper and lower aspects of the posterior wall. While we were ablating in this region, anterior to the left side of, to the left inferior pulmonary vein, the atrial flutter terminated. White here indicates a line of black, and red denotes early activation meeting late activation. Following both endocardial and epicardial ablation, we repeated a voltage map. We now see that the posterior wall and the pulmonary veins are all red, indicating an absence of voltage. Uh, so this is a very good outcome. This is an ECG obtained at 12 months following the hybrid procedure. We see that the patient is in sinus arrhythmia with a, a prolonged PR interval and some PACs. He feels symptomatically much improved and did extremely well following his procedure. Thank you. So let's talk about the surgical approach uh, as part of the hybrid convergent ablation. These are my disclosures. So we've certainly evolved ablation strategies over the last 25 years. We started obviously back in 1987 with the first cut and sew maze by Dr. Cox, and that evolved into the 1990s with catheter-based ablations, understanding that the pulmonary veins are a major source uh, of, of uh, the uh, paroxysmal atrial fibrillation predominantly. In the early 2000s, we developed alternative energy sources, particularly radiofrequency and cryoablation, that allowed us to do the traditional cut and sew maze much more or much less invasively and open the door to more minimally invasive approaches, including, for instance, a totally thoracoscopic maze procedure, the Wolf mini maze procedure, and a robotic maze procedure. But uh, over the past decade, we've also developed uh, the hybrid convergent procedure, and that really is the best of both worlds. It combines surgical and, and EPAF expertise to provide a viable treatment option to patients with complex atrial fibrillation. Now, here on the left, you see the original cut and sew Cox Maze 3, um, a, a very effective operation for atrial fibrillation, but of course requires full cardiopulmonary bypass through a median sternotomy and cutting and sewing the heart back, in, uh, back together. The modified Cox Maze 4 procedure is what we do now for an open approach, and it, uh, uh, it uses a combination of radiofrequency and cryo. Uh, energy as our uh, uh, cryothermia as our energy sources to get that standard lesion set. You've heard about the catheter-based variations on the uh, uh, maze ablation set, but I think what's important to realize is specifically for long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation where the posterior left atrial wall substrate becomes extremely important is we have gaps in that area, and that's where we're able to hopefully provide uh, uh, an opportunity for such patients by combining both surgical and electrophysiologic approaches. So the hybrid convergent plus procedure is a combination of surgery and catheter-based approaches. It's non-cardiopulmonary bypass, sternal sparing, and it's esophageal protective. The plus indicates our additional management of the left atrial appendage as well as ligament of Marshall uh, through a left thoracoscopic approach. This, is, uh, this whole procedure, the hybrid procedure is performed, can be performed either staged or in a single one-stop shop. And uh, as you have seen, uh, some beautiful mapping pictures, mapping provides quality control that is not otherwise available to us uh, in a, in a uh, surgical platform. Here's what the lesion set looks like, and you see the extensive ablation uh, of the uh, posterior wall that's provided 
uh, by the surgical component of the hybrid convergent lesion set. And this is possible because the posterior left atrium really contributes minimal to true left atrial transit function. So multiple studies really have confirmed uh, that we're able to get away with this um, uh, approach um, with really uh, minimal downside uh, to the patient. So really it's the best of all worlds. The hybrid convergent uh, with the left atrial appendage clip um, does not utilize cardiopulmonary bypass. It's sternal sparing and minimally invasive and is able to target uh, both the triggers as well as the substrate in these patients with complex uh, longstanding persistent atrial fibrillation. There are, of course, some patients who are not candidates for this approach, particularly those who have a documented left atrial appendage thrombus or who have significant comorbid valvular or coronary heart disease. These patients obviously should, should be treated uh, with an uh, open surgical approach and a concomitant uh, Cox maze 4 lesion set. Certain patients with severe pulmonary hypertension, severe chronic lung disease, and some patients who have had previous cardiac surgery due to the adhesions in the posterior left atrial wall may also not be candidates. And in that situation, again, we pivot to an open approach. So we start by discontinuing anticoagulation 78, uh, 72 hours preoperatively. We use double lumen endotracheal tube for lung isolation. Uh, transesophageal echo is placed at the beginning of the procedure to confirm that there's no left atrial appendage thrombus present. We insert an esophageal temperature probe, although we've rarely ever seen increases in esophageal temperature during the case. And we start with the four centimeter subxiphoid incision, as you can see there. We uh, place our periocardioscopic cannula, which is a very flexible cannula that has irrigation and suction uh, attached to it. Uh, and this allows us uh, direct visualization with the use of a, of a five millimeter scope to the posterior left atrial wall. We then insert our Episense ablation probe, which, is a, which allows us to integrate uh, vacuum, perfusion, irrigation, and of course energy uh, to really develop robust uh, lesions. Um, the posterior left atrial wall ablation looks something like this from the surgeon perspective. We do two to three rows of these linear ablations with overlap, totaling anywhere from 18 to 28 burns. We then switch and move to the left chest. Uh, we, we use uh, um, typically two 5-millimeter ports and one 10-millimeter thoracoscopic port, and under direct vision, open the pericardium, identify the ligament of Marshall, ablate it, and divide it, and then place our left atrial appendage clip. We also have the opportunity to add additional ablation, particularly we can do full left uh, PVI from that side with the bipolar clamp from Atricure, as well as uh, we can add uh, left atrial dome ablation uh, across from the left side. This is what it looks like in the operating room with three ports. You can see us opening the pericardium there. And then we identify the ligament of Marshall. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful structure to see under direct vision. Uh, we ablate it, divide it, and then place our clip, as you can see. The clip that we utilize is uh, one of two. It's, there's either the complete uh, uh, clip um, uh, or the Pro-V clip, which is, a, which is an open-ended clip. The topography of the left atrial appendage really dictates which clip we use uh, for, for each individual patient. We confirm uh, complete closure of the left atrial appendage with uh, transesophageal echo. And here you can see this case at a three-month uh, CT scan uh, follow-up, uh, very nice occlusion and smooth left atrial wall present there. The logistics of this hybrid approach, because it obviously combines both surgical and electrophysiologic approaches, can be, can be done with either a, a, a same day one setting, 
a same day two setting or a sequential day uh, um, setup. We prefer a staged approach really uh, because it allows us to resolve the acute edema before the endocardial procedure is, is, uh, is uh, started. And uh, it also allows the, the epicardial lesions uh, to mature. Um, this also is, is opportune for patients who've had multiple prior catheter-based ablations with very good uh, uh, control of their pulmonary veins. And, and many, many of these patients uh, may not even need uh, the, the staged uh, procedure. So it allows us to potentially avoid that. Thank you very much uh, for your attention. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.